Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. My guest this week is Zoe Krizlock, the CEO of Minilux, a company that set out to redefine the nail industry for its employees and for its clients. Minilux has set ethical and fair work standards for its workers, including bonuses and benefits such as healthcare. And their goal is to become one of the largest employers and educators within the beauty and self-care workforce. Leading these efforts is Zoe, an experienced senior executive and leader who spent her career driving brand expansion and retail growth for giants such as Nike, Nordstrom, and Gap. Over the course of her career, she's also established a track record of developing female talent. As Minilux CEO, she combines her capabilities as both brand custodian and operating executive with a passion for women-led, purpose-driven business. Follow at Minilux on Instagram and watch out Canada, they're coming to town. Here is my conversation with Zoe Krizlock. Zoe, it's such a pleasure having you join me on The Brand is Female today. Thank you so much for making the time to chat. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so thrilled to be here. I always like to start these conversations by, uh, you know, going back in time a little bit. And I'm curious to ask you, growing up, what did you dream or envision you'd be doing later in life? And could you ever imagine it would have something to do with the beauty industry? Wow. Going back in time, huh? <laughs> um, I think, you know, my journey, I probably was never that child that had the big long-term dreams. I think I leaned into wanting to do things I loved and being curious. And that's probably led me to different thoughts of what I would become. Um, everything usually seemed to be around art and a little bit of math and curiosity and adventure and sport. So, it, you know, I, I definitely didn't have like the dream of being this from the time I was six, mm-hmm. but I did have the dream of um, being out in the world and doing things that mattered. And I wouldn't have never have assumed I would have been here today um, in part of a, such a great company in the beauty industry. That was definitely not part of the plan, <laughs> the plan mm-hmm. or the dream, I think. So tell me a bit about maybe, you know, going to school and uh, what what did you think your path was going to be at that time? And, you know, when you set out to choose what field you you'd study, mm-hmm. um, you know, what what kind of what kind of future were you were you envisioning for yourself or what was kind of appealing to you as a potential career? Yeah, I think as I was probably, you know, in my high school days, I think what I envisioned, I, I'm a person who probably envisions more feelings than specific things, but mm-hmm. I saw being independent. I saw somebody who was able to make decisions and, you know, and the freedom of that. And I think my early love was around art and interior design and really spatial, uh, spatial things and loveliness through that. So mm-hmm. if you look now at kind of where I ended up, it's it's in the same vein, but the journey was very interesting in getting here. So I had originally wanted to go to university to for that interior design. And, you know, 
maybe parents had a little influence about a traditional college education, university education. So I ended up going to university and I um, majored in advertising and minored Mm -hmm. in business, which kind of gave me that art and science balance. And I Mm -hmm. think that struck the chord for probably the career I've had. I like some of it to be free and creative and then other parts of it to be structured, but I Mm. don't do so well when it's all of one or all of another. So I like the balance of, of the two. That's so interesting. We definitely have that in common. And I've, <laughs> I've kind of found, you know, it's that perfect mix of business, but uh, enough creative uh, output as well. So I, I definitely understand that feeling. Um, I'm curious to know who were role models to you and were, were there any women specifically, and maybe it wasn't women, but, uh, you know, people you lo- looked up to or who provided some type of inspiration on your journey? Sure. I I think most of them were women. Actually, I grew up in a really awesome middle-class family and I probably had the first girl dad around who thought I could do anything I put my mind to and encouraged me to be creative and, and, and try things. But the people I really looked up to were my mom, my aunt, and one specific teacher I had in early education. And there's a lot of commonalities between them. And there were a lot of differences. I think what I saw is strong women that had a point of view and, um, you know, had families and they weren't just off doing their own thing, but, you know, really had an opinion about what they should be doing and why they should be doing it. And my mom was a school teacher and she's 80 years old today. And she has former students that still come and tell her what impact she made on their lives. And I, I think that that was so telling about how she spent her time and how she looked at her career. And I got to live with that every day in our household. Um, and then there was my aunt who was one of the first leaders in really corporate banking industry. And she worked on Mm -hmm. developing the first ATM machine and to see her world with all men and how, you know, she was part of that. And it wasn't always easy, but she had a great brain and she had a great opinion and, you know, she Mm. forged her way in early on in, in that community. And then this teacher I had was go takes me back to the art and, you know, how do you use art to express yourself and be part of the world in that form? So I think it's all very different women, but really with a similar thread, but how they approached it was all very different. And I think that was really influential in my early upbringing about what you could be. And it was all, it was Mm. really a landscape of, be what you want to be and, and, you know, forge your way. And I think that was a real profound part of my early upbringing. That's so interesting. So you had, you know, that representation of, you know, strong, forceful women leading amazing careers around you, which is really the best influence a young woman can have. Well, and, you know, unfortunately I'm, I'm old enough that (laughs) we didn't have, you know, my world wasn't very big. It was what our neighborhood block family and friends. And so Mm -hmm. I was so fortunate at at that time in space to be able to have women, um, in, in my close proximity there where that way you're exactly right. Hmm. And I'm going to fast forward a little bit, um, because you spent, I mean, you have a, a, an impressive track record in business and spent 15 years, uh, in executive, executive roles at Nike, uh, which is, uh, you know, a, a very inspiring leader in, in, in its industry. Uh, but when I think Nike, I also think, you know, sports athletes and an industry that's typically male dominated. So I'm curious to know about that experience and being a woman executive 
executive uh, within Nike, what was that like? And, you know, maybe um, what skills do you think you brought to your role within the organization as a woman leader? Yeah, um, I really, I feel so grateful for my career journey. I mean, before Nike, it was Gap. And before Gap, it was Nordstrom. So mm -hmm. my world has been with a lot of men for most of my career, but <laughs> Nike was definitely a, a unique part. And I think part of, um, I was very comfortable at Nike, even though it, the, the ratio of women to men is very different, especially at the executive level, but mm -hmm. I've had a love of sport. And I think, you know, you read a lot of articles about how playing sport as a young person makes a difference in your leadership qualities. And I'm definitely an advocate for that and an advocate to get girls playing sport because I do mm -hmm. think not only do I just have an affinity to play and watch and talk sport, but I do think it helps you become a better leader. Um, but I think both of those things together made my entry and existence in Nike very easy um, because there was a common love. And even if you might disagree at some business ideas, you always had the kind of common love of sport. So it, it did break down some gender moments we might have had in, in that commonality. I think as far as leadership, one of the things I learned is about the importance of having a point of view. I used that previously, but I think in that setting, I learned that some people just really like to talk and they actually don't have a point of view. And I think when you're in a leadership role and you're sitting at a table, it's important to talk when you have a point of view and to listen when you don't. And I think mm -hmm. People value that. And I think sometimes women are better at that than men are. <laughs> and I, I think that it was interesting initially because people perceived me as not being participative. But then when you come out with your comment or your thoughts or your point of view, you know, people are like, wow, okay, this is her area of expertise. This is what she's thinking. And I think it was a while in getting that understood but I saw more and more of us doing it and it makes for a, an efficient meeting. But I think it also means when you talk, people do listen to you. Mm. And in terms of managing teams, I always love asking that question to, you know, women who have led teams in a, in a executive or a corporate context. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of specific traits do you think you brought to your role when it comes to managing people? Um, I think one of the things that I'm proud of is I love diversity on a team and I look to create diversity, not just through culture, but through gender, through thought, through experience. I think I have a unique leadership capability to find commonality amongst a team of very unique individuals. And I think that creates the best team ever. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things, um, I, I'm an authentic leader. I don't always know all the right answers and I'll tell you when I don't. And that's what being a team is about. But I also think there's a lot of empathy to having a strong team. People have moments and all moments are not at work. And I think being able to give people the space to have their moment in life and with their family and be up one day and be down one day, you know, and understand that. I think that is an important trait that maybe I had early on and I didn't appreciate it. I think mm -hmm. as I've worked through COVID and other <laughs> pandemics, epidemics in different countries, <laughs> I think that's become a quality that I've profoundly uh -huh. <laughs> improved. But I've also appreciated when I've, I've had it from a leader, but I do think it's appreciated for me as a leader. 
Mm, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense, and that's such a such an interesting observation. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, yes, I think a lot of our skills <laughs> were tested during the pandemic, and some, you know, we were able to develop some. Uh, you know, I still, I still looked to the for, for the silver lining, uh, even though there were a lot of. Uh, uh, very negative events as a, as a result of this pandemic. Um, so you've made the shift from, you know, the, the, the sports retail, uh, you know, Nike is so much more than that, but you, you've basically, uh, you know, shifted from a position at Nike to, uh, taking on the reins of a company that is quite, uh, you know, revolutionizing the beauty industry, uh, which is Minilux. So I'm curious to know what drew you to that platform and what was it that made you say, I want to be, you know, leading this new project and uh, I see a lot of potential in this concept. So I'm curious to know how you got there. Yeah. So Minilux was actually founded by a man um, almost 13 years ago. And the vision was really to elevated industry, which is highly exploitive and unregulated. And that's true both in the U.S. and Canada. And so his purpose was really about creating a better place for the employee and the client and improving the living wages for this employee workforce. Mm -hmm. Now, what brought me to it and why I think it's so important and why I've kind of taken the journey now as, as the leader of this mission is I learned at Nike and when I was at other places, I've had the opportunity to work around the globe and I consider myself a global citizen, but I was afforded the opportunity to look at how companies can not only do good business, but they can do good, good mm -hmm. to improve the world, good to change the world. And it became almost a moral compass for me to be somebody who was involved in a company that wanted to change things for the better. So mm -hmm. I loved my job at Nike, but when I saw this opportunity, I was like, oh my gosh, here's the opportunity to go and in a business that you think is just based on superficial beauty, you can mm -hmm. change the regulatory, uh, rules of and standards of this business and about toxins and carcinogens and you know how how standards of cleans are executed and and maybe more importantly you can make the world a better place for these hundreds of thousands of workers in this industry who are right now in an informal economy paid under the table no benefits no paid time off you know there's no structure to it and mm -hmm. that really profoundly impacted me. And I thought, oh my gosh, if, if I could do this and if I could really make a difference in this little slice of the pie, um, and started in the U S and now moving to Canada, I think that is a great statement on what I brought to my career journey. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So th that's quite fascinating. And I think there, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that we don't know about, about the nail industry specifically. Um, and I'm, I'd like to ask you, what should consumers, you know, find out? What should be talked about when it comes to the nail salon industry, knowing that many of us are clients and we don't necessarily, uh, you know, fully comprehend the business model or know what the reality is for most nail salons that exist in North America, for example. 
Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I've done my nails a good portion of my life and I really mm-hmm. never knew about this industry and, and it's a little bit alarming. And I will talk specifically about Canada because I think for a country, um, I have lived in Canada before I lived there for three years and, you know, for a society that really is about sustainability, clean and green, it's mm-hmm. alarming to learn about this. So really what you need to understand at the highest level is that there's really no standards or regulatory rules put in place to govern nail salons in Canada. Mm -hmm. And that is true also in the U.S. And what does that mean? It means that there's no standard around health and hygiene, how they clean the tools they use on you during your services, how product isn't Mm cross-contaminated, you know, the level of toxins that are in the product used. And then, and then from those toxins, what's that environment that the employee's in eight hours, 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I look at this, I think to myself, gosh, you know, here you're taking this moment that you, 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 craft 45 minutes of your life to do and you want to feel better and and had time for you and do something special and you might not be coming out better than you went in Mm -hmm. and that is that is alarming and I think that that's something that we at Minilux we want to change we want to make sure that the that we are creating industry standards and that we Mm -hmm. have the highest level of clean and that every tool is either three-step sterilized or we dispose of it after we use it on you. And that way, we know that when you come out of this mini moment, as we like to call it, mm-hmm. you are not only confident and feeling beautiful, but you're also clean, safe, and healthy. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, for the worker, we don't use acrylics or any um, toxic product because that dust and those fumes for this working person, an employee, who is usually of age-bearing time, that that's not... Um, you know, they will be sick and they will not have healthy children. And, you know, those things really should matter to all of us in society. And I think because you, there's, and it's interesting to learn in the U S every, all 50 States have different licensing rules in Canada, only four out of 10 provinces have any rules at all. Mm -hmm. And so that means that in some of these provinces, people can just decide to be a, (laughs) a nail technician and not have any, any kind of level of licensing. So I think part of the story of Minilux is how can we continue to elevate industry standards and Mm -hmm. create some norm so that people can be healthy and safe and that people that as a client or an employee, you know, this is a good situation. And I think a lot of women who get their nails done have no idea that's the story. I I think you're absolutely right. And also understanding that most workers in a nail industry are women themselves. Uh, So this is affecting women directly. It is really affecting women. And I think the other piece of this, as I spoke to the informal economy, paid under the table, most work 10 hours a day, Mm -hmm. no, no benefits or paid time off at all. Then add to that, there's lack of continued training. There's limited, if any, progress in career growth. You know, so what I really want to do, what I brought to the company is I want to change the narrative of this particular career. Mm-hmm. This group of, of talent is talented. This is a craft. I don't know if you've ever tried to paint your dominant hand with your non-dominant hand. It doesn't work very well, right? And and what what they do is just truly a craft and it and it, it and it takes effort. 
And I think for the narrative of this particular part of beauty to be, oh, you're just a nail designer or you do that. I think this this industry needs to go through the evolution like beauticians went through when they became stylists. You know, there was a fundamental shift. And I would like to bring that shift to this industry because I think the talent and the care and the pride that this workforce has is amazing. In Canada, Mm -hmm. there is over 60,000 nail designers in the country. And I think that's an important group to reach out to and try to help lift, not only economically, Mm -hmm. but through adding value and, and, and looking at them with this new lens that really showcases and highlights the craft that they bring. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. I'm curious to ask, um, you, you've worked in companies that are known for having a very strong internal culture. And I think mm-hmm. for, you know, purpose-driven brands, company, uh, purpose-driven brands or companies or organizations in general, um, a lot starts with internal culture. And it's interesting what you talk about because I see a parallel with the fashion industry where, you know, a lot of the inequities, a lot of the uh, heavy pollution, uh, you know, lack of fair wages, um, and obviously women are often the ones bearing the, you know, the, the, the weight of this model. Um, so it sounds like the, you know, the nail industry has a lot of similarities and you're helping uncover uh, what is wrong with the current business model, basically. But I'm curious to know what kind of internal culture are you building at Minilux? Um, and I can imagine that employees feel very empowered and, you know, they contribute to this great purpose that you've set out because you're not only creating a, a model for your business specifically, you're setting out to change the entire industry. Yeah, that that's that's the big idea, right? <laughs> I think, you know, at Minilux, what we're what we're really moving towards is being a digital first employed an empowered platform. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like in the future is how do we give opportunity to our workforce to have flexible work hours, Mm -hmm. be able to work where and when they want, meaning do they want to do services in a studio and be part of a team? Do they want to do mini Lux anywhere and do at-home services or do our pop-up shops? And I think that those ideas give uh, the designer, the ability to build a work situation that accommodates their lifestyle, but right. also we want to advocate them building their brand. You know, if you want to be that mini Lux designer who's out there doing these great 
at-home services and you're on social media and you're sharing your story, we want to be your biggest advocate. I think this whole workforce needs just one big advocate hug of support. And we want to be that. So we want to have that whole spectrum of from consistency and team in a studio to, hey, I want to work all these different places, different hours of the day. And we will have a platform that can meet client demand with talent and supply and and merge the two so that it's the best of both worlds for both sides of the business. Mm -hmm. But it's really, to me, it's about being an advocate for their their talent and, and the vision of their own career. I think right. the one thing that this, that mini Lux does is not only do we train you to, to be a market ready nail designer, and we continue to elevate your skills and training based on new trends coming out. We also offer transferable skills that this might be the first step in their career. And much of what they learn here, they can take to a consumer service industry. They can take to the next idea that they have for their journey of their life. So we really want to be here for you forever, be great for you for now. And we really think there's a lot we can offer you from understanding early entry, um, customer service, time management, you know, teamwork and collaboration to really making you a great nail designer. And I think that's the culture we're trying to build. And, and we're proud of the values that are doing it. It's about team first. It's mm-hmm. about diversity is beautiful. It's about being clean and transparent always. It's mm-hmm. about having a team that's that's strong, bold, and empowered. Those are the things that we speak to every day. And that's what we're hoping to build for this group of women that, that occupy this industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fantastic and such a, you know, such a such a great concept that is helping do good in the world. Um for, you know, the average consumer who, you know, typically is a woman, although there are, uh, you know, other... It's, it's getting bigger get for men. Yes, that. it's great. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I like to refer to not just consumers, but I think we all need to see ourselves as citizens, right? Because we are mm-hmm. the ones enacting change and, you know, making, addressing any, any inequity in, you know, in, in, in our world, whether it's, uh, you know, changing a, an industry and a business model as you're doing. So as consumers, as citizens, what can we do differently um, when it comes to the beauty industry and the nail industry specifically? I really think it's an awareness on um, the other side of the table, so to speak, in the nail industry. What mm-hmm. is that person sitting across from you making you feel good about yourself, giving you some confidence and, and letting you express yourself through a particular color or nail art? What what does that take from them? And I think sometimes it's a very transactional experience. I'm here as a consumer. You're going to do this for me. Thanks. Maybe there's not even a thanks. Sometimes it's a very rude display of interaction. And I think remembering humanity is so important. That person sitting on the other side of the table, you know, is is somebody who cares about what they're doing deeply and they have a Mm -hmm. family and they're part of our community and they want to be valued and they want to be a contributor. And I think that is the real story here. Um, Everybody wants to be a contributor to society. And I think Mm -hmm. by giving people the economic ability and and freedom to be able to do that is really important. And so I think, you know, although you might be getting your nails done, if, if you remember the training and the care that this person is giving you and what, what their life is about, I think 
sometimes we've gotten so busy in the world, we forget about the other person. And I think just taking a few minutes to, to think about that and maybe not talk about it, but just think about it. I think whether, you know, you're at McDonald's or Tim Hortons <laughs> or wherever, and somebody, somebody's trying to make their life better too. So I think that's um, kind of what I've learned from this step in my, my new career journey. Mm, that's fantastic. Or this career journey, I guess. Yeah. Um, I want to know what is your definition of success and has it evolved over time? If I had asked you the same question, you know, five or 10 years ago, would the answer have been any different? My own personal success or the company's success? Both. Both. I think personal, it probably, I, yeah, I definitely know personally the, the, the definition of success has changed. Uh, and I think that before it was really never, it was understanding of, could I do it? Could, could I be good enough to get a promotion? Not because I wanted the promotion. I just want to know if I could do it. And I think <laughs> that I've solved that for myself. Um, I think that now it's, I think now it really goes back to change. Can you evoke change and, and do things better for people? Even if it's just one person today and it's just a little thing, I think it's, it's really, I think the last two years have really taught me that I, I leaned that way anymore uh, anyway, but I think, you know, seeing some of the distress humanity's gone through in the last couple of years, I do think just showing up and trying to be kind and good and make a difference in a bigger little way is really compelling now. So it's helping, um, you know, a coworker, you know, learn something or you help somebody from your past, you know, mentor them or get them a job experience that they need, you know, all those little things might not take so much out of you, but they mean so much to people. So mm -hmm. I think that's probably my own personal success. I think in mini lux, the success could be, oh, so big and sometimes so little, and it all seems to matter equally. <laughs> you know, I do think, you know, the, the two goals I would have is for mini lux long-term is can we change the regulations in countries so that toxicity is at, at the lowest level and, you know, it's regulated with standards. And I know that's not very sexy, but mm -hmm. it's really important to creating a better world for all of us. And then I think the next piece kind of goes to long-term and short-term is, is how does, how does this group of women with between North America is almost half a million people. Yeah. How can they be proud of what they do and make a great living that gives them what they dream of? Mm -hmm. And I think that everybody in North America kind of has the aspirational dream to make a better life for themselves and their families. And so how can we do that? I think on a week-to-week -week basis, you know, it's, it's little steps. It's somebody learns something new. Somebody has more clients than they did the week before. So, you know, if you only look at the long-term goal, every week gets a little hard. So I like to take the little wins to equal the big win, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's very smart. Um, how do you stay grounded as a busy executive? And I mean, you've, you know, you've lived a fast paced, uh, you know, executive life for, for a long time in your career. Uh, what are ways that you, I don't think balance can be achieved all the time, although we tend to always try to, you know, aim for balance. Um, but how, how do you keep, uh, you know, kind of that, that grounded state so that you're able to, uh, feel good about yourself, perform, you know, at a, at a better level and just generally keep sane in our, you know, in our, in our crazy fast paced life. Yeah. I think the first thing I did is redefine the word balance because that's just 
a bunch of hooey, so to speak. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I, think, I agree. And so I think that um, I work hard and I love working hard, but I love to be off. And when I'm off, I'm off. I do yeah. not call in. I do not, I do not do that. But in the midst of all that, I do, I found a couple things over the course of the last like five to seven years that really work for me. And they might sound superficial, but they really do. I make sure I keep some white space for me every day. Uh-huh. And the white space can be, 15 minutes. It can be 20 minutes. It can be somewhere where I can actually just think. So in the summer, I don't really love cold weather. So in the summer, it's in the form of a walk. I usually do a little cruising and it's amazing how your, my mind just shuts down the work stuff and it kind of just wanders around. And there's so, it's like when I was younger, my mom used to call it daydreaming. You know, I don't really know what I'm thinking about. And it's just my, my head kind of floats. And I feel like that gives me a really good centering. Yes. And then the other thing that I find that really helps me is I practice gratitude Uh and I find three things in the morning before I get out of bed. And I find three things at night before I go to sleep that I am truly grateful for. And, you know, I think the other day I had a really, really good apple. (laughs) I'm really grateful for this, you know, but sometimes it's those little things that bring you joy and you're like, I'm really grateful for this apple. And I think somehow for me internally, that creates a little bit of harmony. So you could be at this fast, busy pace, or you could be frustrated, or you could be like, never get enough done. And I think a little bit of daydreaming, a little bit of gratitude kind of keeps, I think, so instead of maybe balance, I have, I'm a little more centered. Yeah, and then yes. I, I I balance the work and the time off in in clumps of time more than day to day. I think. Yeah, and I echo uh, you know those, those thoughts. I have the same practice, um, <laughs> and I find the the white space, which yes, sometimes feels. I, I used to feel very guilty about. I just want to sit here and think about you know nothing specific for half an hour, and uh, you know it can be referred to as daydreaming. But I find that's when. I give enough space for my thoughts to get organized, even if it's not a conscious process, you know, it's like half an hour later, things make sense again. And I kind of process information during that time. So I absolutely, uh, I absolutely meet you. Yeah. I think it it provides, um, I always find I'm more creative after some of that. Mm -hmm. And I also take some um, pressure off of things that I think are really like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like all of a sudden it's not such a crisis or it's not so bad or, you know, somehow it just kind of like back to it centers and balances you internally a little bit. So it sounds like we're on the same uh, vibe for that one. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And then my favorite question to ask everyone on the show, what do you wish women would do less or more of? And you can also answer both. I'll answer both. I think women should stop trying to be perfect and celebrate progress. Mm -hmm. And you can take that from personal to professional to whatever. We worry about a lot of stuff trying to be perfect. It's ridiculous. And, you know, it's like, Hey, every day it can be just a little bit better. And, you know, and to me, that's the journey than the the photograph, I guess that you might Mm -hmm. see. Um, and I think, so I wish women would, and I think women need to support each other in that effort for sure. Um, and then I think what, what we need to do more of is realize that um, we need to help each other more. I yes. think this, and I think that, and I'm probably guilty of it. When I was younger, I thought there was only space for me if I was going to go somewhere. And now yeah. I realize there's space for all of us. And and, it, and I think the kinder and, and more help we are to each other, the more 
there's space for everybody. Just because you help somebody doesn't mean you will fail. And I think that that is a journey. I think younger people are better at it. But as part of people who've been in our careers for a while, I think being a leader by example of that, it does not take any effort to be good and helpful and kind to somebody. It might take a little time, but I think showing women how to navigate something, give them, give them some learnings that you've already had. I, I think we need to do more of that. And I don't even think it's just with women. I think being a woman, mentoring a man and, and giving insight into how women operate and think is just as helpful. And so, um, you know, everybody's like, oh, are you a mentor only to women? I'm like, no, I'm actually proud that I'm a female mentor to men because I think that helps the women's situation as well. And so I think that women, instead of trying to be perfect all the time, take a little time to just celebrate your progress and, and help another girl out, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And as again, I, I, I kind of echo, I think a lot of women have realized, you know, we were kind of all brought up in that scarcity mindset where yes. you know, there was only space for a few of us that made it to the top and we had to fight hard to get there. Mm-hmm. And now it's no, there's actually, we support each other there. You know, we go, we're stronger as a community and there is space for everybody. Um, and once we realize that it completely changes the outcome. I think it was truly, I think it, it is more of a a male mindset, you know, I I won. And I think, I I think females are a little bit better at we won. And I think that will change the story, but I don't think, I think we were brought up looking at this situation and that's how the behavior was. So we emulated it. And as more women came into the workforce, we we were starting to figure this out a little bit faster now. (laughs) So that, that's, that's really great. Yeah. Um, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Very impressed with everything you're building and doing at Minilux. We'll, uh, you know, we'll link, uh, your, your website and social and, uh, I'll keep checking in with you because, uh, you've set out, you know, to change an industry and create positive impact in the world. And, uh, this is fantastic. So thank you so much for making time to speak with me today. Thank you so much. And, you know, I I look forward to speaking again. You can hold me accountable to seeing how our change progresses, but we're really excited about our journey. And thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brandy's Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope. Yeah.